welcome to episode 17 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Justin, how's it going? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, long time no speak. That's right. How long has it been now? Well, it's been over a month. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few friends of mine actually call me up and say, hey, what's the story? <laughs> I I need a new podcast because... Yeah, you know, a couple a couple of friends of mine actually listen to the podcast when they're working out, and then when they're they don't have one to listen to, they're kind of left with nothing. Well, so, and we've had a few, uh, uh, you know, we've had a few snippy comments by people saying, you know, when's the next podcast as well on the on the blog? And so. okay, well, I guess that's reason enough to get going. So uh, yeah, well, let's. I guess we should talk about what we've been up to, so that uh, at least people can understand a little bit why uh, why there's been a delay. So you've been working on. Um, Tweet Miner. I've been working on Tweet Miner, and I've also been working on my startup. I know Tweet Miner is a startup, but it's a, it's like a sort of side project for me. I've also been working on the main startup, um, building together the investor pitch plans. Um, but Tweet Miner has been taking a lot of time, as well as my uh, my main web consultancy. Well, see, you, see, so you have three things. You get your web consultancy. You got one client or two? Web consultancy, two clients, uh, and Tweet Miner. And wait, no. Now, the two clients, how many hours a, a week do the two clients take up? They basically take between eight and nine hours a day. <laughs> wow. So, and that's five days a week. Yeah. 40, 45 hours a week yeah. for your two clients. And then you have TweetMiner, which is sort of your organic startup. Yeah, basically. Right? Yeah. That's the, you know, just don't take any investment. Just start, build something small for some niche or some idea and then uh, respond to... I mean, yeah, tweet, tweet Miner was just basically because of texting. That's where it came from. Just because I wanted to build, um, I want I wanted to use Twitter as a tool to um, promote texting episodes, and I wanted right. to, I wanted to post to a tech audience. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, I wanted to post tech links to Twitter, and I found that it was taking up too much of my day hunting down those tech links. So mm-hmm. I just built a system that basically I can add RSS feeds to various different tech sites and then I can click a button and it bungs them onto a schedule queue and basically posts out those tweets. So right. that was the it's... point. That's why I built TweetMiner really in the first place, just for me really. Right. No, so you, you've been working on TweetMiner what, for about like six weeks? Uh, yeah. I mean it's been, it's been, um, it's been l- live for 24 days, but I, w- I, I guess I was developing it for a couple of weeks before that. Yeah. Okay, and so you, when you initially started, um, you initially were going to build it as a sort of a – you were going to use PHP to build a desktop app. There was some kind of software. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that was it. I was going to do that. And um, I, I, I did that, and, uh, you know, it was it was working pretty good. Um, and the reason for that was just to decentralize all the uh, Twitter connections so that, you know, everyone, everyone who's making a Twitter connection can run it from their own desktop. But – then as I started talking to people about it, so many people wanted to run it on, you know, Mac or different flavors of it, you know, Linux. So it was just like, well, why am I bothering to just focus on Windows desktop? I might yeah, as well you, just. You, 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 got, you, you felt the, the full, was it the brunt force of uh, building desktop apps that the whole problem of everybody's got a different system. Yeah. Operating system, different. Ah, it's just a nightmare. You yeah. know, what's funny is people are asking for desktop apps. So you know what I did? I just wrapped I just made an air wrapper to the website, and people yeah. are like, "Oh, fantastic! What a great desktop app!" <laughs> but right. basically, it's just a, it's just an air wrapper that opens up the exact same website that they'd be visiting in a browser. Right, and uh, <laughs> and so by having it in a browser, but I have to do that, it, it makes you it makes your customer support easier, right? Because you can roll new versions automatically. You don't have to support older versions. Yeah, exactly. Right? So so even the desktop version, because it's just pulling in the website once again. You know, anyone who's using it is using the most up-to-date version. Yeah, well, there's a guy. I think you actually sent me a link to this, but I've read this a couple of story, articles by this guy who created. Um, he's a he's a piece of software. I think it's called like Bingo Creator or something. Oh yeah, and he's written several articles about A/B testing and about uh, he, how Bingo Creator used to be desktop app, and then he started creating a web app, and how it just kicked kicked the desktop's ass in terms desktop apps ass in terms of overall revenue you know, per hours put in and the customer support required and all that stuff right i mean you actually read that too right yeah i mean but but the one like the one downside is let's say that tweetminer because tweetminer you know is 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 a twitter client as well as being you know an rss thing to put stuff on twitter okay. um so it's a fully blown twitter client so people could use it that way 
But let's say it was to really take off, like um, yeah. like TweetDeck or whatever, just because over the year I kept on adding features or whatever. Then the issue is is the resources that it uses because it's it's centralized, it's not decentralized. So, you know, even at the moment, um I'm just opening up the stats page here, but like two hundred and like two hundred and two people within the last seven days basically created ninety seven thousand server processes. Right. Okay. So, you know, and then if you consider the amount of data being consumed from Twitter, like because Twitter doesn't compress any data, so every time Every time I serve out to the user 1K of worth of worth of Ajax data, Twitter served me 10K worth of data. Okay. So it's like 10 to 1 ratio. So right. if that if a million people downloaded that desktop app, you know it's going to be very expensive well, that's, for me. Yeah. Well, when you, I mean, okay, you're talking about what's really important. For that is not just a desktop app, but it's having a web-based app, right? I mean, because if people are running it through a desktop. Then that could connect directly to Twitter, right? So that you would never have to maintain a central service. That's well, the one advantage. That, that's what I'm desktop. saying. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one advantage of desktop, basically, is you don't have you don't have to maintain a server a server support a server side, you know, processing. Or the whatever. scaling issues, basically, this, and yeah. and the costs with that, you know, the costs associated with that. Now, what are you using for your uh, for your IS for your hosting? Uh, <laughs> well, at the moment, it's on HostGator for nine dollars a month, you know, and it's on it's on a server that's got another ten websites on it as well. <laughs> you know, I think that's fine. You know, I mean, it's like, well, first of all, you get a million users, even if you get a hundred thousand users, that's a good problem to have. <laughs> I know? guess I'm sure you can make. I'm sure the amount of money that that people would pay to use a high quality, you know, product versus how much it costs in server space is sure to be a significant margin in that so you know well i mean I, let's say there was twenty thousand people using it of those yeah. twenty thousand i don't think more than 500 would be paying customers well first of all then you can just limit it down i mean you just say well you know okay yeah because I, I i recently saw an article about this too i think the real the real thumb is one percent of of free people who 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 are free users are um versus paid so one yeah. percent paid or something like that. Yeah, and one percent would be doing well. I would have thought. I'm sorry. I would have thought one percent would be doing well. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, I just read an article. It was like an old one. It was it was it was an article that was linked to from another one. It was kind of on a similar subject, and they were I think they were referencing referencing the one percent value. And I guess there was yeah. an article written by the team from that does the Wufu. I think Particle Tree. They did they, they did a presentation. I think at like 2007 South by Southwest conference, right. and they had they had worked with um, like I think it was called Rig Online and um, FeedBurner and BlinkSale. Yeah. And all four companies said, "All right, this is our conversion rates. This is how many lines of code we have. This is how." Long, how many months or years we worked on the product before we released it? This is how many employees we have. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think I actually read that article years ago, but it was interesting to reread. I reread it last night, and um, it was all about one one percent, roughly, regardless of whether. And I think the freemium, whether they had a free version or whether a very limited free version, didn't seem to matter a whole lot in terms of how many people paid. As as an aside, by the way. That's interesting. I mean, I'll tell you what's been a revelation is, um, and, and this comes from Peldi from Bolsmic, is is the use of um, get satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So basically having a big link, you know, saying, you know, report a problem, suggest a feature, and it it instantly builds up a community and, and it also overloads you with work. Like it's unbelievable the amount of feature requests that come in just from a few people, you know. Um, but it's great to get that customer feedback and it really does drive the direction of the product. Well, that's yeah, because that's the real data. Because everything, every all the time that you spend building your product before you have people who are really using it, yeah. real users, it's just kind of wasted time. I think Paul Graham had written some stuff about that. That that whole time is essentially a waste <laughs> for the most part. Get it mm -hmm. out there and yeah. only, or not waste, but it's just it's it's it, because it's all speculation, right? It's speculative software development versus once you get it out there and you have people using it, sort of data driven. Yeah. Um, development. So it's then people are telling you, I will buy this or I will use this more. Yeah. Or, I would pay more for this if you did X, Y, and Z versus you sitting in a room by yourself or talking with one of your co-founders. Well, maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that or this would be a cool idea. Well, I don't know. But if you go on and you have a bunch of people saying, you know, it really has to do X, Y, and Z, then you're like, okay, well. I, I, I recommend that. that to anyone. I mean, it's it's been really, 
really helpful to to just make it totally easy for people to feedback about the product. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So, um, but one thing I was going to say before about the hosting thing too is that um, you can use Rackspace, what used to be Maso Rackspace Cloud site, which is really seems to be. I mean, it's like a hundred dollars a month. Well, that's and assume, yeah, assuming you just are using vanilla, fairly vanilla modules, either PHP or Python, or I think even the Ruby on Rails. I think they even have that, and they I think they may even have .NET. Um, but assuming you're not, you don't have to have any really, really custom server side stuff. Um, then uh, that is a really well. Actually, it's interesting that you should say that because that is what I'm what I'm building. I'm thinking of of going onto that Rackspace Cloud thing, and that's what I've been basing my pricing model around. And at, at the end of the day, what it comes down to for me is not bandwidth and not storage. It's actually CPU because Rackspace Cloud logs, you know, counts the, the, the amount of CPU that you use. So that's what I'm saying. I've used 97,000 processes with 202 people in seven days. You know, that's an incredibly important figure. And, and with for, for $100 a month with the Rackspace, basically their CPU usage will let you have, for example, 20 million downloads of a GIF, you know, right. and maybe okay. 5 million or maybe even 2.5 million heavy database pages. So, for example, Drupal, right? So yeah. they, they, I think I think it's somewhere between 2 and 5 million pages like Drupal serves. Okay, well, how month. much would that translate in terms of, do you have any kind of conversion well, translation from, like, for TweetMiner, like, based on you could support? I mean, assuming your user base is... It has the same um, characteristics that your current user base has of your current 200. Let's say when you know, yeah, that they don't change. The characteristics don't change. Um, can you supply 20,000? I, I think I my my guesstimate is that a, a Drupal is incredibly database heavy, right? So everything is stored in the database. Everything pulls, and I've and I've made everything pulls data from the database, even just to sort of determine the variables kind of thing, right? So I can mm -hmm. understand why Drupal would would only go to like two and a half million hits a month uh, on, okay. on a hundred dollar rack space right but, is, is that wait is that a statistic that rack space uses as an example yeah is that what you're yeah. talking about rack, okay. rack space have that they, they sort of say because you get ten thousand cycles of compute they call it compute right that's I, what i was wondering like what's okay because I, I saw that because i have an account there i have a cloud site account i'm like what the so I mean, you, what you can it, see that ticking down in your control panel yeah, I haven't looked at it recently because I'm, I'm nowhere close to it. But I was—I I didn't really know what that meant, or I didn't really know what that was equivalent to. I mean, so for you, what does that mean? Well, I—I think I—I I, I can't be absolutely sure. But what I think it means is okay. So here's, I'm just reading directly from the Rackspace site. Ten thousand cycles of compute means about two point one million page views using a database-driven content management system. It means 11 million page views of rackspacecloud.com and 25 million requests for static 15 kilobyte image. So I, I, what I've done with TweetMiner is I've tried to make every request use a maximum of, I don't know, maybe three database calls. So I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that you know something like Drupal probably does about 10, you know, 10 database calls per page, and that's why it's 2.1 million. Wow. So I'm hoping that. You know, uh, TweetMiner can get maybe six million in in a month for a hundred bucks. Because my my whole model is is if I get like twenty thousand users free, and then I get I I think it's going to be hard to get one percent. So I'm saying five hundred paying customers. I think I'll probably get like five grand a month, basically. Five thousand. Five thousand dollars income. If I'm lucky, five thousand dollars income for 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 a hundred dollar account. For a hundred dollar account, and also ah, that's. You know, 50, 50x. You that's know? what I'm. That's what I'm trying to get. But don't forget, you know, that does include, you know, a lot of time on my part, a lot of development. Yeah, no, I just mean that relative. I mean, which really your expense is your time. Yeah. The, you yeah. know, because every hour that you spend doing this is an hour you could have spent being paid doing consulting work, which is a reasonably significant yeah. amount of money. So, um, yeah, ultimately it has to amount to something. Otherwise, your wife's going to say, "Hey, uh, Justin." But everyone <laughs> in the business the world, <laughs> like everyone who knows about this, like I even spoke to, um, uh, I've forgotten his name, but the guy who does Nambu, right? I told him about TweetMiner, you know, and he's been doing Twitter clients for a while. And everyone in the business tells me that I don't have a hope in hell of making $5,000 a month from a Twitter app. <laughs> oh, this is the guy who did uh, Trim, right? Yeah, the guy who did Trim, yeah. So basically, what was his name again? Uh, Ed, uh, Eric um, Woodward, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was that was cool. He was a cool guy. It was an interesting conversation. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. So basically people think that the idea of me converting 
those 20,000 free customers, you know, a certain portion of them into paying customers enough to bring in five, five grand a month. They think that's just not possible, not with Twitter. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Well, it's, it's I a mean, big you, you, know, you have any paying customers yet, though, right? It's all just free still. It's it's all just free. Yeah. And once again, because I'm so, so overloaded now by the get satisfaction stuff that it's I'm finding it difficult to get to the point where I pull away from features. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, well, I would, you know, I mean, I, I think I think it's a it's kind of a corollary to the hey, you know, release as early as as, as you can. Yeah. So you don't get trapped in this forever development cycle where you never have a product. Yeah. And I think as a corollary, start charging as soon as you can so you don't um, you don't get in this perpetual loop of adding features. Like, well, we'll start charging. Yeah. We'll start charging at some point. Because I think there was one – there was one – I remember reading some articles. A guy written an article. I think it was like a time tracking type of uh, art, um, app. And I think it was the guy who was one of the um, – Oh geez, what was the original um, JavaScript Ajax calendar that was sold to two cows? Do you remember? Was that no, a Y Combinator startup? No, it wasn't thirty boxes. I can't remember. One of the guys, and he started this time, uh, this kind of Ajaxy like project timer things, yeah. and um, it was pretty cool. But he but he never started. He never charged for it, and he kept working on it. And then it became a. Then he wrote a series of articles, or at least one or two articles, lamenting the fact that he didn't start charging earlier and, and the sort of problem because of expectation management because all these people have been using it. You, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest pain in the butts about not charging is you've actually got nothing to give away. You've got no actual – because if you've got something that has a, has a yearly value of $120 because it's a $10 a month subscription, you can, say, mm-hmm. you can say to someone, that's leverage. You can say, hey, I'll give you $120 worth of this. If you give me a review, you know. Yeah, but that's true. Well, it's, if it's, it's free, it's all you perception. can't do anything. You know, yeah. something. If people perceive something as free, then then the value is, is not worth much. Yeah, exactly. And the longer you have that out there, the the harder it is to switch that. And the more people take it for granted, the more people are going to get irate if you try and take it away. And um, and so you really want to get that. And and it's also it's like the whole thing with like software development. It's like you want to close the loop, right? Get your arms around the problem. And the arms around not just a software problem, but the business problem is that you actually have to charge people, set up a merchant account or PayPal or something, and just get your arms all the way around it, even if you haven't really tightened all the screws you know and um yeah but i think it's gonna be interesting because laboratory experiment because because you're building this sort of organic you know low investment uh agile project type of uh you know um, little venture right yeah and then you have this other thing where you're you know you have multiple people involved and you're raising your you know business plans and pitch decks and raising a lot of money and it's just whole with talking to vcs and all that kind of thing so it's the whole the complete antithesis it's the opposite end of the spectrum isn't it it'll be really interesting to see you know maybe a year or two from now your perspective on the two endeavors that's a very good point thank you yeah you you may be like you may have one yeah i mean you may just say hey well you know they each have their pros and cons or you may come out the other side and go you know what (laughs) this you know this this one approach is way more doable or, or whatever um that's cool and uh, but um okay i mean that's we've we've covered tweet minor that's great um but i wanted to all talk to you about what happened with you you've had you had a pretty exciting time because you ended up at uh at TechCrunch 50 you 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 a company that you basically own a percentage of is in TechCrunch 50 tell us how you got there how you got involved in this company all the crazy stuff that happened to to make that happen Okay, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting story. Um, um, so I don't know, it was several months ago, I was back in May or something, um, I had emailed um, Jason Calacanis uh, a, a question because I think I'd listened to – he had this new um, uh, web po- uh, kind of video podcast called This Week in Startups or Twist. Yeah. And it's got to be a pretty big deal. I think it's like 25,000 people watch I'm- the show now. I find Calacanis entertaining. Well, some people, because he has a big personality and he's very outspoken, they he kind of rubs the wrong way. I like him because I think he's smart. I think he's honest. And he, I like it. You know, I think he's right about most things. Whatever. But so I always enjoyed his beta cast, and I emailed him. I'm like, you know, you really should. You know, I really wish you'd do your podcast again because I like listen to it. And then he started up Twist, and uh, he, you know, you know, kind of coincidentally, a couple weeks later. And then I was like the first or second episode. He said, "Yeah, by the way, you know, people email me questions all the time, and I'll, I'll answer them." 
And I was like, you know, I should ask him what I what he thinks I should do with Prezo because, you know, as I've talked on the podcast, we you know about Prezo and uh, how we kind of we ran out of funding and it's just been kind of running without any development going forward. And I just figured, what should I do with this thing, you know? Yeah. And so, I, you know, and I have my opinions, and there are friends of mine who have their opinions about what I should do. But I said, you know, let's. I think Calicanus is one of the savviest you know, entrepreneurs, web entrepreneurs yeah. that I know of. And I said, it'd be really interested. It'd be really interesting to find out what he has, has to say. So I emailed him a question. He emailed me back and said, Hey, that's a cool question. Could you just call into the show tomorrow? And I, cool. So I ended up calling into the show and I would think it was one of the first or second call-ins. I think it was like the second or third show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was like a 15 minute discussion or something. And it was, you know, his, his, uh, his feedback was interesting. And then as a result of that, two things happened. One, you contacted me and because you had just moved to, recently moved to LA and you didn't know anybody. And I was like a fellow web tech developer entrepreneur. And you, like, hey. I went to Parizo and saw that you were just down the road from me basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, Hey, let's, let's, you know, grab, grab something to eat. And you know, be nice. he's like, I don't, you know, like, I don't know anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this country so we uh and then uh long story short you and i within a couple of weeks we started we had a number of conversations and you're like hey let's do a podcast um and so that that was one that's one thing that resulted from me calling into the to twist the second thing is is that uh I, I, this guy called me up and he's named you know, joe essenfeld and he's like hey i heard your interview uh, on twist and I thought you know I looked at Prezo and I was impressed and uh, I have this business idea and I'd be interested to know if you'd be willing to build the first version of it of this for some slice of equity and yeah. I was like okay so what's your business idea and he's like okay and so he had actually already paid a designer and you know they already had like screenshots you know, they already had screens designed and he had a full business plan and a pitch and, you know, he'd been working on this for months. And, uh, you know, his, his idea is he said, you know, I've outsourced stuff. I tried outsourcing stuff. I've tried using, you know, different developers and he's like for different things. And I guess his experience was, is that when he was in college, he had worked with two or three developers. He, 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 he didn't found the company, but I think he worked at the startup and these, he's like, developers were just awesome. And he's like, the experience was amazing. And these guys are all now work at like Adobe and Google and stuff and Apple. And they're just real top tier developers. And then he said he had since then had worked with some developers who were just supposedly, you know, were good, but weren't at that level. And he said, the experience was just not nearly yeah. productive. So he, that's why he's like, listen, I don't want to just outsource this or pay someone. I, I, I will give you a slice of equity if you could build this thing. Oh, that's interesting. You know, built the first version. And so I said, all right, well, let's start the business idea. And his business idea was essentially, um, you know, rather than – well, the company is called Local Bacon. Yeah. And it's a, it's a job board that will compete with, say, Monster.com or, or, you know, that kind of thing. And he's yeah. like, the, the way those business models work is that employers are charged like 500 or 800 whatever it is, to post a job, and then job seekers can apply for free. Now, the problem is that, um, that he wanted to solve were twofold. One is that as an, as an employer, he, he himself in, in past experiences had apply, posted jobs, and he just got spammed with yeah. tons of just crappy resumes, completely off topic, completely irrelevant, and it was just a nightmare. And then you end up getting 500 resumes, and you get like 10 or 15 that are even relevant, you know. And, um, and then as a job seeker, you apply to all these jobs, and you just, it's like, Throwing, you know, yelling into a, in, you know, a black can, Grand Canyon or something. There's just nothing, you know, or growing into a, yelling into the abyss. You don't get any feedback. So it's like, what I want to do is I'm gonna let employers charge for, for you know, char not charge employers free initially. Maybe charge them, but charge them less, you know, um, than they say Monster or something like that. But charge the job seeker to apply just a very nominal amount, like a dollar or something like that, and that will prevent. The spam because you're not going to apply for a job even if you have to pay a dollar or fifty cents, you know, yeah. if you're not really serious about it. So an employer might rather than five hundred resumes might expect you know thirty or something, and all those are going to be serious candidates. And and the other, the and the other thing you'll get for paying is that as a job seeker you'll get um, feedback. So when the employer views your resume. Um, online, you get an email so the employer just viewed it. If they and once they give, if they make a decision on you know, 
you know, if they're going to flag you for follow-up or if they're, if they're not interested, what the reason was. Because that's the really yeah. horrible experience. When you apply for a job, you know, you don't know whether they've read your CV, you don't know what's going on, and you don't know what they think about your CV, your resume. And th- what's amazing yeah. about this idea is, is that you, you know, you pay a buck, fair enough, but you get, uh, which is, which is, to be honest, about the same as it's going to cost to, to, to mail in by, by mail your CV, your resume. In, it's yeah, in the I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, exactly. You're making copies and sending a yeah, you know, it's 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 nothing. It's yeah. really nothing. And you know, um, you know, we'd even talked about ideas of using. One thing I, I remember when he he first talked to me about the idea, and I was reading an I think it was a, a, an article out of Wired, and it was talking about Google's auction economy and how they maximized revenue and kind of found an equilibrium by having these floating prices for AdSense or whatever it was. Yeah, but that makes sense in that model. I'm not sure, sure that works. I, in this I thought model. they might be able to do something like that. You got a floating prices based on some factors. I mean, we have nothing that's you know those are just ideas. I mean, there's all yeah. these ideas. Knobs that you can sort of turn on this business model to experiment yeah. what'll work. I mean, because maybe an employer posts and and it's a, it's a very interesting job, so they get a lot of jobs, or it's a higher paying job, so people be willing to pay a, you know two or three dollars. What what kind of um, feedback do they get? Do they, do they get like sort of you know you? It was a really badly formatted CV. You you didn't sh- tell us how much you know enough experience. I mean, what kind of feedback? Yeah, do right they- now there's like, I think it's like six or seven. You know, like. It's just our radio boxes that the that, that so there's like when they're looking in line. So when employers looking at your application, your application. One thing we did, which was kind of cool, yeah. was we weren't just going to have you. you the, the employer looks at a PDF. So you upload your resume, you know, as a PDF or as a Word doc or something, and it gets converted into a PDF that the um, the employer looks at. And but that's kind of slow. And I said, you know, why don't we use um, Scribs iPaper? Okay. And, and the reason that occurred to me is I actually um, – I, I, I was in a wedding party. I was a groomsman with another guy who is the um, director of business development over at, at Scribd. Yeah. And, and um, so we spent a lot of time – you know, when you're at a wedding, you're just spending a lot of time sitting around talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, waiting, especially as groomsmen. Chinwagging about like, business. Yeah, so we're talking. And so I was like – he was talking about iPaper. I'm like, that is cool. And so I looked into it. So what we did is we use iPaper so that through, through, through their API. So when you upload your Word doc or whatever, it goes to Scribd as a private document. So it's private over there. It's hidden. It's not like anyone can see it. Yeah. It's converted, in, and then you can always download it later as a PDF or Word doc or whatever you want. And then you view it through their iPaper viewer, which is way faster than downloading or viewing a PDF. Yeah. And you can look at it in line. So your cover letter and, P- and, um, and resume are, are always available online, not only for you to look at, to resubmit to other apps for other Because you've got that startup time with PDF, don't you? Yeah. It's just, it it's, takes it's like a minute to, to even launch. It, sometimes it does, but this thing is fast. And yeah. uh, iPaper is fast, and it looks really good, integrates really nicely. It's in, all in line, you know. And so um, – uh, when, when an employer is looking at a resume, they have like a little drop menu that says, okay, you flagging it for follow-up or are you shelving it for one of, you know, six or seven reasons. And there's sort of default reasons like right. you know, not – or other, like, you know, other explanation. Yeah. So it's like, you know, not enough education, not relevant work experience, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, so it basically does that. So it's all done through like an Ajax and the, the UI for the, user, for the employer side is all very – it's kind of based around like Gmail. So it's really Ajaxy and really fast. So that for so if an employer is looking and he has like fifty, you know, maybe he has five job postings and he has fifty resumes for each one. You know, it's like going through your inbox in Gmail. You can go through really fast, right? I'm and, I'm very excited for you. And and because you guys went to TC50, okay, you didn't win it, but it doesn't matter because okay, now. Okay, yeah, yeah. So so let me yeah. let me let me tell more of the story here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Joe calls me up and he says, you know, he says, hey, I'll give you a slice if you can build this first version of this thing. You're a piece, you know, a chunk of the company. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, my wife. So I go around, I said, and he tells me a business model. I said, all right, that's a plausible business model. I could see how that could work. He's flipping the business model. And it's a little crazy. I mean, it sounds like, you know, there's part of me that says that's not going to work, but, you know, all these, anything that's innovative at work sounds like that at first. Yeah. You know, stupid. You know, if you look at anything at first, like, you know, Delicious or Flickr or, you know, Facebook or any of these things, you know, before they happen, I mean, just sound like an asinine idea. Yeah. You know, it turned into like now the default way people think about things, you know. Yeah. And, um, and that's the same way I looked at this. I could see, I could see how it could work. And so I remember walking to the room and talking to my wife about it. And I said, hey, Sandy, what, what do you think? And she's just like, oh, I guess it's a stupid idea. She's like, I just think you should focus 
focus on your, your plenty <laughs> consulting work and then work on your other idea your the, the another thing that i'm working on this project and texting on, yeah texting yeah she's like yeah plenty don't she's like it just sounds dumb and i said well i said i think i could build this thing pretty quickly you know i said it's kind of an it's like you know if i get this chunk of equity you know if they get funding then i can get consulting work from that if they don't get funding right away or, or even if i don't want to necessarily continue working on it you know i can always walk away and do other stuff and i still own my you know it's like now the money call option you know if it comes if it does great then you know awesome but and i still own my equity it doesn't have to vest i don't have to like work there for two years i can just yeah. this thing out and because that was the the initial conversation when joe called me he said you know he kind of had this sort of sorry well he had this sort of plan that said, okay, once, once the company's making X revenue per month, then this would be your yearly salary as a CTO. And then, you know, once, you know, and it would kind of scaled up. And I said, listen, you know, and I, I told him right off the bat, I said, you know, I actually have to make a fairly significant income because I have a wife, three kids, and a, and a mortgage in California. Yeah. So I'm not like some, you know, 20-something, you know, kid who has a roommate in an apartment, you know, and I can live off, you know, a modest salary and I said that said so I said maybe I'm the wrong guy for you because that's the first thing I responded to him after I told him that I said just I might be the wrong guy for you but I said I'll, I'll tell you what I said my offer is I'll build this first version of you for the equity and then afterwards if you get funding you can pay my consulting rate if you want and I can work five hours a week or 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week or no hours a week whatever yeah you know and it's up to you and he said you know what he said that works fine for me I'm like all right. <laughs> well, because cool. he he probably knows that you know you're going like if if it gets anywhere you're going to become more and more interested in it anyway. Yeah, you know he figures and you know and I'm being straight up with him you know about it. And I told him and I I really said I might not be the wrong guy for I might not be the right guy for you. And I, he was I think he was just more interested in getting someone he he thought could really deliver. What he he wanted. he wanted it to be a really snappy experience. He wanted that Ajax stuff and and with Prezo you'd proven that. Yeah, and I and so he just um. I, you know, as I think, and, and my strength, I think, really is is building the first version of things. You know, <laughs> Interesting. I, at least I think that's my sweet spot. Is going from just like this vague conception of what this product's going to be, and then just building the first version. Hmm. Beyond that, I think I lose value just because there's a lot larger number of developers are comfortable just having a well-defined product that they just continue to iterate on, add features, and improve. Whereas if you just come to somebody and you start waving your hands in the air and say, well, it's kind of do this, it's kind of do that, and well, I don't know, and they don't have a bunch of formal specs, most developers look at that and they're like, oh, my God, I don't even know where to start. Where I'm just like, all right, fine, you know, we'll just start getting, you know, we'll start building stuff. I love prototyping stuff. I love sort of bleeding edge experimentation. So, and anyway, yeah. so, you know, doing this kind of thing just kind of, you know, was fine for me, and I felt like I could build it relatively quickly and you know idea was that we we're going to build this thing in like you know two months it's the first version yeah and now i actually didn't get started till the end of june on it because by the time he ended up giving me final screenshots i was supposed to start at the beginning of june because he wanted he went to launch or at least beta launch in the middle of july and then launch for real at the end of august i mean the end of uh, july now i didn't even start i don't think it was like the last couple of days of june when i actually had the final screenshots to start coding um and uh, so we were working on it, and then I think it was sometime in August, um, we, we, we held off for a couple of weeks because we still hadn't quite finished some stuff. So it was like in August, and um, Joe got uh, – he sort of wrangled a, a free ticket to this conference that Calacanis, uh, Jace Calacanis was speaking at, was keynoting at, and it was in New York, which is where um, Joe is based. I live in – you know, obviously out here in Pasadena, and he lives in New York. And so he – Stopped by the conference, saw, you know, saw a chance to go and, and just kind of pitch, pitch Calicanus on the idea, and Calicanus thought it was a really cool idea and said, "Hey, listen, are you guys launched?" He said, "No, we're still working on." It. He's like, "All right, listen." He's like, "Submit. We're st we extended the deadline for TechCrunch 50. Um, put in a resume. Put in an application by the end of um, by tomorrow afternoon." Right. Yeah. So Joe comes back to me, calls me, and he's like, I don't know. Do you think we should do it? And I'm like, yeah, man. You know, I mean, what's so you guys spend a day working on an application, you know, and do a video. Yeah, do like a video as well. And he's like, so, you know, why not? So they did it. And within a few days, they did a demo, you know, within a week or whatever, we were accepted, which is amazing because the, the deadline was the end of June. We didn't even start working on this thing. It's unbelievable. 
after the deadline. So I thought it was kind of amazing that that actually worked out, that we got in. I was like, you know, this this is pretty lucky because, you know, over a thousand, last two years, I think over a thousand applications have gone in for this TechCrunch 50 and only 50 are accepted. Yeah. So it's really hard to get in. So we got in and then Joe, and one of the things they require you to do for TechCrunch 50 is you have to um, give a demo of your product, like a dry run to get feedback. Yeah. Like a month, like a couple weeks before. And so he did that and they got really, uh, Joe got really good reviews from Calicanus and um, and uh, and, the, and the people working with Calicanus. They gave, they gave him like a seven or something, a 10. So yeah. Said, really excited about it and then um he actually said to him he said listen um you know i don't really like this idea because they, actually they were po- they were doing the demos at sequoia's capital's headquarters in um up in silicon valley <laughs> and he liked it so much he pulled in one of the partners and said hey listen to this you know listen to the, and, he, and he pitched it for joe i mean calicanus pitched it to the vc <laughs> and he basically turned to joe and said listen I want to be your first investor. <laughs> well, so not only fantastic. we get accepted, and not only get high marks, but Kyle Canis says, "I want to be, I want to invest in this." And so then we went to the show, and um, things were looking, you know, really good. We got some conversations with some VCs, and I think after the first day after the demo, uh, Don Dodge is like one of these big shot angel investor people, and he actually tweeted, "He's like, you know, 2007 Mint, 2008 Yammer One, this year." Maybe Yext, um, what was it? Yext, Clicker, or Local Bacon. So we were actually a front runner after the first day, at least in the mind of one of the top people. Yeah. And um, you know, on our panel, we had some big shots from Sequoia and Marissa Meyer. Mayer was there, and Mark Andreessen and stuff. And I don't know. We got a lot of positive feedback, and we ended up not winning, um, but we were definitely one of the, uh, the the front runners and got a lot of attention, and and as a result, got a lot of meetings set up with a bunch of um, you know VCs and angels. So well, that's the interesting thing. I mean, it's it's not a question of are you going to get funded. It's a question of what's the term sheet going to look like and who's it going to be with. You know. So, I think that's right. Yeah, which I'd, is pretty I'd, I'd, impressive. I would, be shocked. I would be shocked if it didn't get funded. You know what those terms are, whether whether we weighs half a million or a million or two million, and you know what we have to give up. Who knows? But I we'll get funding. I mean, Joe is Joe is doing a great job. Um, he's just one of the reasons I decided to do this, even though it sounded like such an, a flyer. I mean, you know, to do this because some random guy calls you up from New York and says, "Hey, I'll you know." Spend a bunch of time build this thing, and I give a piece of equity, and people say, "Ah, who is this guy? You know, yeah. why? Are you, I don't know." This. It's like, well, you know, I talked to him. He's like really sharp. He's really focused. He really seems to understand what what, what he's trying to do. He does his homework. He does his research. Yeah. He's relentless, and I'm like, he has all the right. You know, he speaks well. You know, looks good in a suit. I don't know. I mean, he just like he looks and he he's, he looks he walks the walk and talks the talk. Yeah, I mean, he looks the part. He's doing it, and he looks the part as well. And he's committed. I mean, and he just living it. You know, um, and so I was like, you know, this is the kind of person that is going to make this work. So I think it's a reasonable chance. So, um, that's that's pretty much the status. You know, we have we're live. It's we very exciting. Bunch of jobs. Yeah, and um, have well, you had any um, payment? payments go through yet Have, yeah, has yeah, someone clicked yeah. a button and said i'm going to give you 99 cents yeah not a ton to... of people but we have we've you know we have uh you know i don't know <laughs> i don't know what i'm supposed to say about that one way or the other but yeah that, that's interesting definitely I mean, been a, well a no no one would expect you to to launch and all of a sudden have a million purchases i mean so you know it's going to be not very many at this stage that's fine i mean you know yeah, you, but people you, are paying and yeah. you know it's hilarious because like a lot of this stuff i mean we built at the very last minute. I got PayPal working the night before the TechCrunch 50. We're supposed to launch at TechCrunch 50. I got it working at like 11:30 at night. I didn't start working on it till like 10:30, <laughs> and like an hour later, I got the PayPal payment API mechanism all hooked. That in. is a, a classic uh, Silicon Valley startup story. Like, yeah. Well, you yeah. know it's funny too, because always people say, "Oh, you know, you gotta have like, you know, work for a month, and you have a bunch of these developer, you know, couple of engineers, and they work this night and day." I'm like, you know what? I worked on this like 10 hours a week. For like two months, and that's it. So you know? I guess I guess anyone who's interested in being a competitor who's listening to this show, remember it's not really the tech that's the important part. It's it's that Joe's really good, and you don't have a hope against, uh, competing against Joe. Right. <laughs> no. I just think it's like it's 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 the tech, you know, because like when you talk to Calacanis, I mean, his thing is like you know, 
one thing he said, he's like, you guys had the goods. You got the business model and yeah. you got the tech, yeah. right? Like with this really slick Ajax website, like the front end behaves a lot like, like we modeled a lot of the search after kayaks, Ajax. But you know, you know something, even though you were on it 10 hours a week, the point is, is that you have 15 years experience. So you're using your libraries and all that yeah. stuff that you've built up. So there's a lot more in it than just those 10 hours. Yeah, no, and I have to say there was a few weeks there where I, I guess just to say there were a few weeks there, maybe a month that I worked a lot, I put a lot of hours in. Yeah. But there are a lot of weeks where I was like, you know, 10 hours. I mean, That's I because I had consulting. I mean, I got a bill, right? I mean, yeah. I got I got bills to pay, so I got I got to get consulting hours in, and you know, I got. But it's the also there's a there's like these businesses where it's easy to build the first eighty percent, right? But then to finish the last twenty percent is the de you know the devil's in the detail, and you know you you're not even at that point yet. That's going to be over, you know, once you get this investment, once you start building it up, once you start making it. For example, it's going to require localization. It's going to require to understand what state you're from. All that sort of stuff is going to be built in there, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I think of the, the, the I mean, the first version is working, right? Yeah. Payment. We have an admin site. We have an employer site. We have a job seeker site. You know, it's just a yeah. lot. And it works. I mean, it's not like yeah. it doesn't work. I mean, there are yeah. features that we want to add. Mm. So, you know, I. I don't know. I think the hard, that's the hardest part. You know, I'm improving it is relatively easy at this point. I think okay, so we want to add a feature here. Or we want to do this. You know, I have a lot of experience working on this kind of a thing, so I'm able to be a lot more productive. And I think that's that's one of the reasons Joe I think wanted you know me or someone like me to do it. It's like you go on and and you talk to somebody who's built very advanced. Ajax UIs and not just cobbling together a couple of Ajax features that they'll be way faster in building this thing because they don't have to do it for the first time. Like the sliders, one of the things, one of the really cool Ajax features is that we have these sort of um, double sliders where you choose on the job search, like hourly and salary, yeah. the amount, the range. So you'd have to have a double slider. So I had to custom build those things, but it, I built them in about four hours. Yeah. I got the, I built a custom control, got it working, got it hooked up. And, um, you know, now, had I not built a, uh, you know, a bunch of Ajax controls before, had I not built my own slider control before, it would take me a long time. Yeah. Because then even if you say, well, hey, I'm, I'm doing a lot of Ajax and I use like jQuery when things, well, then you got to go in the jQuery code and try and figure out how to take something and, and, and um, take some control and, and, and customize it. But I just took a control that I built and changed it. So it took me four hours to build the control and it probably took me another two or three hours the rest of the day to kind of integrate into the site and then I'm done. Okay. So that all has to do with, like like you said, having your own libraries and having spent years doing it. That's why I was able to build it. Well, really I mean, quick. I think the main take-home I get from it is you put yourself out there. You sent that email into Jason Calacanis. You were on This Week in Startups. And as a result of just putting yourself out there that one time, you caught this amazing connection. And now you're going to end up being a millionaire. I think it's fantastic. Well, I don't know about that, but we'll see. I mean, <laughs> it was, it's been an interesting experience. Um, you know, it was a, you know, it was – is, you know, it's a challenging project in certain ways to get it done. Yeah, Joe's in, uh, Joe's a you know really good guy, and uh, I think he's a winner, and I think he's got, I think we got a good shot. So, um, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny too when I uh, <laughs> when we were at the TechCrunch 50, right? So I'm there working on the site, and um, I think Joe was prepping for to go on stage. This is the first day, right? Yeah. And this is up in San Francisco, and I and there's this huge center. There's a big there's the, what they call the demo pet where they have like I don't know. 50 or maybe 100 or some booths of all these people, companies that didn't make the TechCrunch 50 but made were allowed to go into the demo pit. And then there's this other area where all these big tables are where you can just sit around and eat or, you know, sit at your computer and do some work done. And so I'm sitting there, you know, getting stuff ready, and I'm actually editing the site. It's like, you know, an hour before we launch, you know, and I'm actually still changing stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, God. And Joe's backstage, I think, or getting back, getting prepped. And, um, this guy comes in and he's like, hey, can I sit down? Can I, can I sit down? Because he, he needed a table to work at. And I'm like, listen, you know, only if you're going to work on your site live. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, this is, <laughs> this is the balls of steel table. <laughs> you got to work on your site live with it. Go with the demo coming up with an hour. He's like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. <laughs> so okay. it turns out this guy is hilarious. His name is Jason Kiesel. And I think that's pronounced Kaiser Kiesel. I think it's Kiesel. And yeah. he, he, his, his uh, startup, I think it's called City Source, which is really 
cool. Yeah. And they were one of the they became one of the front runners. Um, and he he had built it, and they were even more extreme version of us. Like they built it in like four or six weeks, and and they didn't even start until August. God. <laughs> and they got in as an alternate. Someone dropped out at the last minute, and they got in. That's amazing. And he actually has another site. I can't remember what it was. And so this is sort of a secondary thing he came up with. And, um, you know, we were joking about working on our sites live because I was lo- I was working on, on a local copy and then I would use FTP to copy stuff over to a live site, you know, <laughs> no dev site, or staging site. I just like copy it over. Oh, that broke it. We'll fix that real quick, you know. Okay. And, uh, my technique was let's say that you had um, – you know, some, uh, some page name. And I would, I would put like some number after the page as like the, you know, temporary version. And I try that. And if it worked, then I just delete it and rename it. Okay. You know, it was like I had a whole dev copy and a whole like, you know, so you still haven't gotten second. into the subversion hooks yet. No, no, no. So, so then he goes, he's like, yeah, he's like, you think that's, you think that you think, you think you're being a cowboy. He's like, I'm editing the document on the server. <laughs> <laughs> like awesome. That's what I'm talking about. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, because he used to be like one of the lead developers over at. So he's uh, like doing what VI is. He's like on the server doing VI yeah. editing it directly. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Absolutely. And he was. Um. So I was like the. I was the conservative one. <laughs> Jesus. And he's like, yeah. He's like, he used to be a lead developer at MySpace. Tell me he, about um TC50. Well, let me just say this. So he was the lead developer of MySpace, and he said that they used to push stuff out on live site all the time, that they didn't have, like, dev site. They said, screw it, just push it out, ah, break it, we better fix it real quick. No one's really going to notice. Yeah, that's – I mean, I've, I've done that pattern myself for, for the Virtual Irish <laughs> Pub, which is like a, a live chat community. I think oh, for right. some certain situations it's fine. But if it's like a bit of banking website, then – Yeah, uh, you know. no, there is. I mean, you know, MySpace – you know, right? You can do it. I mean, certain things it's you can do. It on critical, yeah, exactly. can't. And well, it's funny. So I walk up to Joe. I'm working up to like maybe you know ten minutes before, and I call up. I call. I call Sandy. I call my wife, and I say, "Hey, guess what I'm doing?" And she's like, uh, "She's like, uh, she's like, what? I'm preparing. I'm preparing for the demo." And I said, "I'm actually working on the site." She's like, "You're not still working on it?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> she's like, "Just step away from the computer. Back away from the computer now. <laughs> Quit." Oh my god! And it works on the site. So, you, so you were working on the site just before he gave the demo? Yeah, I was changing oh, the stuff Jesus. 10 minutes before. That is terrifying. So then I said, I said I'm just going to be fine. So I walk, I get backstage. I actually had a hard time to get backstage. Security wouldn't even let me get backstage. I finally got someone to let me go back there. And I go, Joe, I'm like, listen, I just want to let you know I made some changes, but it's cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> He's like, what? Just to scare the I mean, shit out of him. He had his like iPod on. He's like trying to get psyched. And I come in, I'm like, dude, let me just tell you, I made a bunch of changes, but it's cool. It'll work. Don't worry about it. Oh my God. I just like totally, he was just like, dude, are you, you're not serious. But yeah, it worked fine. There was no problems. Tell me about uh, TC50. Like what, if, am I, okay. Do I understand TC50 correctly? There's 50 uh, companies who are in there who get in for free and they get to demo like you did. Then there's also yeah. a demo pit where people pay 1500 bucks and they can demo their products within DC50. I don't know how many of those people there are, I'm guessing. Yeah, maybe okay, so you know, roughly a, a, some, something north of 1,000 companies apply. Right. And 50 are chosen. Yeah. And they don't have to pay. They get in for free. And they not only after they after they demo in the actual um, – at the, at the, in front of all the – people which is huge or a huge number of press it was a gigantic auditorium so packed with um press and i don't know bloggers and venture capitalists investors whoever and a big stage is really cool and um and then all the and then a number of companies that were, that didn't get accepted in, but were still they thought were were really good were given a spot I think in a de, in the demo pit. Now I don't know I don't think they had to pay, but I think if other people wanted to pay, like people who maybe were in their previous year years. Oh, the, the demo pit people do. They have to pay fifteen hundred. They get a half price ticket. Even the ones that were even the ones that were accepted. Yeah, they get they get a they get as far as I as far as what I've read on the web, they get a half price ticket because it's three grand to get in, right? Okay. So, so the the how many people are in there? The, you know, all together, yeah, roughly. No, no, the whole thing. Like how many people are in the building? Yeah. How many people go to TC Fifty? I don't know, thousands. I mean, so big. each one of those thousands pays three grand to get in. Well, you know, there were there were student volunteers, and then there are the, the competitors themselves who get a couple free tickets. I think it's hard to say. I don't really know. I don't know. I, I wouldn't even speculate. I mean, um, 
you know, I spent so much of my time just working on the site that I really wasn't like I didn't do the demo. Um, Peter, who is the other, who's like employee zero that uh, Joe hired, yeah. he's he's the one who's sort of um, doing helping out with all the business and marketing and getting jobs and employers and all that kind of stuff. And he's the one who did the demo. Like I didn't even go on stage with him. I just said, you know what, let Peter go up. I don't really want to have to go to all these dry runs, and I don't really care to be up on stage. You know, I've done yeah. I've done it before. All it means is that I'm going to have to go and put on a, you know, some nice clothes and get up on a stage that I don't care to do. So, you know, so I spent most of my time just kind of working on the code, you know, sitting at that table. Did you, you do know. any networking on behalf of TechZing? No. No, I didn't <laughs> do anything, network on behalf of anything. I mean, I was just trying to fix stuff. Because, you know, constantly Joe's coming, oh, man, you know, could you just, could you just fix this one thing? Or, you know, we really have to add this one thing. And so you're like, all right, all right, all right. You know, and so I'm trying to get stuff fixed and added in. So you were that. just, you were being a soldier. Yeah, you know, you're just trying to make this thing not blow up. <laughs> you're trying to get these last features in, you know. And, um, you know, it is because it was last, that, you know, talk about that last 10% or last 2%. You know, every time you think it's finished, it's like, oh, you know, we just realized that this isn't working right or this isn't happening. And so you're trying to fix this stuff in emergency because you go live. I mean, you just literally launch the thing. Hmm. Right. Not only did you demo it, but we literally launched the moment, you know, after the demo. I just basically edited a directory name or something and the whole thing just live. I was like, all right, <laughs> I hope it works. That's cool. <laughs> you know, and it did. You know, I mean, there might, I'm sure there were some hiccups here and there and the bugs, but I mean, it, it worked. So that's kind of how it works. That's how I think. I spent – so I went up there a few days before the conference. And so basically, luckily, we had Peter, like I said, employee zero. He had a family friend had a condo. Their family has a condo in San Francisco. Yeah. Really nice condo that we got to stay in for free. Um, so, But I basically just sat at a kitchen table in a condo working on it for like two days before the conference. So did you get a chance to get any upfront time with uh, Jason Calacanis or any of the other guys? No, no. I ne- well, you know, because I didn't do the demos. So right. I never went in. I never met Calacanis. Um, I never, or Aaron Kennedy, these people. I didn't interact with anybody. Um, Were you there for the I whole didn't... Mike Arrington, Calacanis uh, blow up? Yeah, I heard that was in the background. I saw some video later. I, you know, I didn't know what happened with that. What yeah. happened? Um, I think they, I, I think that, um, I think the general theory is I can't remember which one, but one of them was sort of a control freak, and the other one got pissed off about it, and uh, they had just a bit of a falling out. Well, it's not a surprise. I mean, they both kind of have, you know, big personalities and egos, and they used to run in their own show, and so sometimes, you know, it's hard for them to work together. I guess. Good chat. Yeah, Marcia. All right. Cool. Well, I guess that's a wrap. We're out.